We acknowledge that you are the one God, the true God. We ask now your blessing upon the preaching of your word that you would give my brothers and sisters powers of concentration and understanding. And you would give me powers of explanation and clarity of expression. And may all of this be done to your glorious praise. In Jesus' name, amen. There are many people in the world, including some Christians, who live as act as, as if they were actually in control of things. Now, we're in control of a few things. You chose what clothes you were going to wear today. Some of us, maybe if you're young, your mother or father said, nope, not that outfit, this one. You know, maybe you got some advice from a spouse, I don't know. But those are seemingly small things. But there are many people who try and do the impossible. And to flash their mind back into eternity past and try and figure out what God was doing before he created the world. Do you know what my answer always is? I don't know. I wasn't there. And he hasn't told me. We have to start from the starting line that that God needs nothing at all. We all acknowledge that he's perfect. And part of being perfect means you don't need anything at all. So when people ask me this question, why did God create us? My answer at first is, I don't know. And I haven't gotten an answer when I asked him. But we do have an answer somewhat to that question. God does everything for the praise of his glory. God does everything for the praise of his glory. He does everything to magnify his name. Now, when you say that to an unbeliever, and I've had people challenge me at this, so your God is like an egomaniac. He does everything for himself. My answer to that is always be very, very careful with your words. For the Bible tells us that our God is a consuming fire. He's a gentle shepherd, but he's also a consuming fire. He's God of judgment. How do we know that? He executed his own son. He's a God of mercy. How do we know that? He allows us to confess our sins and to place our trust in Christ. Does anybody here actually think that they deserve to believe in Jesus? It's a different question than I usually ask. The answer to, do you think that you deserve to enter into heaven? We all say no, but do you think you even deserve to believe? Have you ever considered what a privilege it is to actually believe? If you do believe, and it doesn't matter how old you are, it's because God planned it that way. The book of Ephesians, especially the first two chapters, are emphatic in the realization that God does everything for his own glory, and that we have nothing to add to our salvation whatsoever. Now this unnerves a lot of people, because you'll hear words like, well then we're just puppets. No, how do you know we're not puppets? Well, because God holds us accountable. 
Jesus says these terrifying words in Matthew 12. Every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for in the day of judgment. Every careless word. And the word men there includes women folk as well. Every careless word. I've told you this many times. Not mean words. Not sarcastic words. Not gossip. Not slander. Not malice. Not verbal murder. Not character assassination. Just little offhand things that we say and we don't even think about it. Every single word. Now, that should get your attention. Hmm? Because just with that verse... Any clear-thinking person says, well, I I guess I'm in a little bit of trouble here. Because there have been many times in most of our lives when we've said things carelessly that didn't need to be said that brought harm to someone else. And what do we say? I I didn't mean that. I, I did not mean to say that. I don't know what I was saying, thinking when I said it. I wasn't thinking when I said it. And we're being honest And then what we have to do is not only apologize, we have to ask for forgiveness. There's a difference. To say, I apologize to you is one thing. To say, I ask for your forgiveness, that's a, a, a different dish on the menu. That's a different dish. You say you're sorry for, you know, forgetting to bring home a loaf of bread, maybe. But to harm somebody, you need to ask for their forgiveness. And they need to forgive you. Jesus says those other terrifying words. If you do not forgive men their offenses against you, then my Heavenly Father will not forgive you. That's another verse that always gets my attention because it's very easy for us to hold grudges. The Bible has hard things to say to us. It would be great if it was all Psalm 23. Boy, that would just be great. Or the Beatitudes. Blessed are this, blessed are that, blessed are that. But when you really read the Beatitudes, you realize, I'm none of these people. I'm not a peacemaker. Wherever I go, I start fights. When you read those Beatitudes, they sound, oh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you want to stand up right now and say you're poor in spirit? That means you're very, very, very humble before the Lord your God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, meekness is not a quality that our culture likes. Only the strong still survive, right? The f- survival to the fittest. Dog eat dog. Go after each other. Now, Jesus says the meek shall inherit the earth. Anybody want to stand up and say, I am meek and I shall inherit the earth. Now, when we read those Beatitudes, they, they should convict us and make us realize, oh, mama mia, I'm not here. And then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, even though it's beautiful, is nothing short of, uh, of brutal. Jesus says, if, if, if a man merely looks upon a woman with unlawful desire, he has already committed adultery with her in her heart, in his heart. If you hate your brother without cause, you've already committed murder. That's getting at our thoughts. That 10th commandment that nobody can see, thou shalt not covet. You could break that commandment all day, every day, and no one would ever know it unless you told them. 
I'd like to remind you of that a lot because we create idols in our hearts. And what the first two chapters of Ephesians do is really bring our attention with regard to our salvation right back to God so that we do nothing but fall on our knees like that tax collector in today's gospel reading and just beat our breasts and say, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That is the only acceptable response to the message of grace. Now, how many of us, let's be honest, at one time in our life, acted like that Pharisee and said, you know, Lord, I'm really happy. I'm really happy that I'm not like that guy. Now, there is a difference between saying, Lord, thank you, that that I'm not, by your grace, I don't do those things. Or by your grace, I don't do those things anymore. It's very different. That's the, the heart, the heart. I'm not like this guy. I'm not like that guy. Get rid of them all. I'm the guy. Who do you want to be? The Pharisee or the tax collector? You want to be in line with the tax collector because Jesus says, that man went home justified. Justified. To be justified means to be declared just in the court of God. To be pardoned, not found not guilty. Because in order to be justified before God, you have to confess your guilt first. You throw yourself on the mercy of the court. He can't find you not guilty because you've already pled guilty. God have mercy on me, a sinner. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And he has pardon on you because of the blood of Christ. And you walk out justified. Just. It's a legal status. You walk out just. Now I want you to think about this. If you're a Christian today, you are just in the sight of God. You're righteous in the sight of God. You can say that, but then you have to quickly say, because of the righteousness of Christ. Because of the righteousness of Christ. And this is what these first few verses of Ephesians 1 are getting at. I'll start from verse 3. We spoke on this last week. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which... He made us accepted in the beloved. If you're a Christian, it's because God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Where were you before the foundation of the world? This is not a trick question. You don't have to answer. You weren't. I wasn't. This is talking about the doctrine of predestination, which scares people. Even our own Westminster standards say that this particular doctrine should be handled with great care. What we first have to realize is that this is the God we serve. He is that powerful. He is absolutely sovereign. Is there anything God is not allowed to do? 
Does anybody again want to stand up and say, God can't do that? You see, we get it backwards. Most of us want to place God under a microscope and inspect Him. Most of us want to put God into the witness box and interrogate Him. Now I want you to think of something here. Do you really want to place God into an interrogation box and then interrogate Him? As if you're a detective. And you're going to find something wrong with Him and His decisions. I can see the fear in your eyes. No, I don't even want to think about that. Just thinking about that, guess what? That's a sin. That's presuming that you know more than God does. Now, when we're young, and I'm not picking on the young people here, when we're young, we begin to develop the understanding, the misunderstanding, that we actually know more than, than those who are older than us. It's, it happens. I was there. Every adult here will say they were there. How much did you know, men and women, when you were 15, 16, 17? Let me tell you something. I knew everything. I knew everything. Every single thing about every, every solitary topic on planet Earth. I knew something. I had an opinion about it. Looking back on it now, I realized I was wrong about every single time. Seriously, almost every, almost every single time. I got a few things right. No, no turn on red. Okay, I can figure that one out. Okay, no turn on red. No. Stop. Figure that one out. Green light, go. Figure that out. As you get older, you realize, man, I didn't know all that much. Now, if that's the case, and I see the smile on the adults' faces, and, and you young people... You're going to smile in 15 years when you realize, man, I really thought I was the cat's meow when I was 15. I got to be about 25 and I realized, man, alive. And some of you think that you're saber-toothed tigers. Forget about being a cat's meow. And you wake up at 30 and say, hmm, mm-mm. I was just a little kitten. Just a little kitten cruising around. So now, if that's the case, what about God. You want to joust verbally with God? You want to intellectually get into a debate with God? What we have to do is just say, man, alive. He had grace upon me before the foundation of the world. What, should that, what effect should that have on us? Thankfulness and fear. Godly fear. What does the book of Proverbs say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord doesn't mean you're in the corner crouching and shaking as if he's some type of abusive parent. It means you realize God is God, I am me, and never the two shall meet. Never the two shall meet. He chose us in him. That means in Christ. In Christ. Because of what Christ has done. Because of who Christ is. Who is Jesus? Jesus is your prophet, your priest, and your king. He is the word of God. He speaks the message of God. He is the high priest of God. We, see, we saw those high priests accusing Paul. We see the high priests accusing Jesus and on both of them, they could find no fault with him, particularly with Christ. They had to bring false witnesses. 
Jesus is the high priest. And he is also the king. Prophet, priest, and king. Those are his offices. And he rules over us gently. And we are accepted by the Father because of what Christ did on that cross. I ask you again, have you believed in the message of the cross? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'm telling you how to be just before God. You believe that Christ took your place on Good Friday. And that his righteousness is now given to you. It's not just one. Jesus took not only our sins into himself, but the punishment for our sins. And then his righteousness, his justness before God is given to us. You can think of it literally as a blood transfusion. Not literally, but figuratively. It's a blood transfusion. You get all of his righteousness in his humanity. He never broke the law of God. Never had to use Psalm 51. I often wonder, when it came time to chant Psalm 51, what did Jesus do? I don't know. I don't like to think about it too much. My guess is he just listened. He didn't have to confess. You see, if Jesus would confess a sin, he'd be lying, which would mean he had sinned. Think about that. Sinless man. Talk about someone getting on your nerves. Absolutely perfect in mind and body and spirit. Talk about someone who's going to get on your nerves. And he truly got on the nerves of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Because they thought they were all that. And then he came around and realized, they realized, this peasant, this hick from up north in Galilee, he knows more than we do. We can't answer this guy. Where did he come from? The carpenter's son. Let's make up some lies. Let's make up some lies. Do you believe the truth? Do you believe the truth in Christ? If so, it's because God has had mercy upon you. Before the foundation of the world, He chose us, the people of God, in Him. Why? That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. How can you possibly be holy and without blame? I I might say blameless because I have it memorized in King James. Holy and blameless before Him. Okay? In your own actions, your own thoughts, your own deeds? No, it's because of Christ. We are found in Christ. Paul uses this phrase over and over in Ephesians. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's mysterious, but yet it's easy to understand. We are part of his body, the body of Christ. Not physically. Not physically. But legally. Legally. We are under Christ's headship and we are then covered. He's our protection. You see, when God looks at his people, he sees Christ as our covenantal head. And when he sees Christ, all he can possibly see is holiness and blamelessness. Now, God knows all things, he knows your sins. 
That's where His grace comes in. Despite your sin. You see, we get it backwards. We think that God will save us because of who we are or who we'll become. If I do this, if I do that right, if I just get all of these things right, God will then accept me. Listen, that to-do list will never be done. Do you like creating to-do lists for yourselves? I, I, I love them. I love them. And, and um, I make these ginormous lists that every efficiency expert has ever told me it's never going to happen. You know? Everyone who I've ever talked to who's an expert in this field says, you shoot for six main things a day. I'm like, six? I couldn't even begin. If, I would feel horribly guilty if I just started with six. I'm usually at 18, 19, 20. And at the end of the day, if I hit six or eight, I feel lousy about it, but I I can't seem to stop that to-do list. To be holy and blameless before God in your own, you really have to have a long to-do list. When in reality, it's just one thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. Because Jesus' to-do list, how long was it? 613. The law of God. How would you like to have a to-do list of 600? And in order to pass muster, you have to do every task perfectly. That's how long his to-do list was. So we were chosen in him and were found holy and blameless in him because of that gigantic to-do list of his. having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Good pleasure of his will is simply stating that God can do what he wants. Now this, this, this phrase, adoption as sons, is very important for us to understand. The word is sons. So I guess you girls are left out, right? No, no. We have to remember, this was written in 62 A.D. Remember that reading in the book of Acts where Paul said, I appeal to Caesar. If Paul had not said that, this is how the beauty of God's uh, foreordination works. If Paul had not said, I appeal to Caesar, he wouldn't have got to Rome. He would have gone to Jerusalem and they would have killed him on the way. He got to Rome and Caesar has a lot of things to do in Rome. He doesn't get to Paul for a few years. Um, That's when he wrote the book of Ephesians and Philippians, and Colossians, and Philemon. Right? It, all, it, all, it all works out. We do things, we make choices, but and God is not the puppet master. He's just foreordained it. And when we go along with His plan, it works out much better for us. This term, adoption as sons, if you were a female at First Presbyterian in Ephesus, and you heard this in 65 or 70 AD, your ears would have jumped. Because in the Roman Empire, women didn't have civil rights. You have to remember, I mean, this is modern America. When did you gals get the right to vote? Anybody want to scream out the year? I hear two 1920s. That was less than 100 years ago. 
So now we're going back 2,000 years ago. What do you think the Romans thought? Not much. Not much. So, but you see, an adopted son in the Roman Empire had the absolute full rights of a natural-born first son. If a Roman adopted a son, a boy, he had full rights as if he had been naturally born. And this would occur, you see, if a Roman, let's say a Roman centurion had four daughters, he'd have himself a little bit of a problem with his estate. He adopts a son, guess who now gets the estate? That adopted son. And what this text is beautifully saying is that God brings us into his family because of who Christ is. We're adopted. He brings us in. You know, when I was a social worker, I would, I would have to deal with these, these children who had had horrible backgrounds. It's horrible backgrounds. And um, we would try and get them into a, even a decent foster home so that they could just have a break from life. I mean, imagine having a horrible, horrible life and then all of a sudden be being abandoned and on the street and then being adopted into a wonderful, loving family. Just, just imagine what that would feel like. Now realize that you've been adopted into God's eternal family. And it's to the praise of His glorious grace in verse 6. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. It all comes round circle. Because of Jesus, the firstborn son of God is perfect. We're brought into the family. Christ is like your older brother in his humanity. You see, all of this mystery is beautiful. It's like a painting that you can just stare at and wonder, how, how can someone, those of you who, are, who can draw and whatnot, I don't think you understand that those of us who can barely handwrite, how amazing it is to say, how do you do that? I've tried to um, make something look three-dimensional, and you know what? On paper, it never does. I don't know how architects can do that kind of stuff. I had a friend who was an architect. He says, oh, you just do this. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm going to do it. Watch. He says, well, you're not doing it on my paper with my tools. Okay? Let's just use some scratch paper and a pencil. I said, okay. And he goes, you're right. You don't have any artistic ability whatsoever. He says, can't you see it? I'm like, no, I can't. I'm fascinated by the fact that you can just make a few lines and it's, it looks like a cube. When I do it, it just looks like four lines. When we think of these deep doctrines of God and, and who He is and what He's done for us, it should, we should have that same dumbstruck marvel that we have. And maybe if you're an artist, it's like, well, yeah, I can do that. But think of something that just absolutely astounds you when you see somebody do it. We have a wonderful pianist. All that music she makes is with 12 notes. That's it. Of course, I sing over her notes sometimes. And I think in my vocal range, I have about 15. 
And I always hit those three notes that don't really exist. So they sound a little weird. You need to marvel at who God is and what he's done. And to just ponder, and this is what the Sabbath day is for, is just sit and realize, God has done this for me. He's done this for me and my family. Praise be the name of the Lord for his glorious, glorious grace. Let's pray. Lord, we do not understand, but we believe. And we ask you for the continued grace that we might continue to believe. In Jesus' name, the beloved Son of God. Amen.